0: Today's program is brought to you by the Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheese that win more awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit eatwisconsincheese.com.
1: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network,
2: Welcome to Cutting the Curd. We did some interviews a few weeks ago on location at Crown Finish Caves. On today's show, we have our interview with Dr. Paul Kinstett and Slow Food Director Richard McCarthy. Hello, this is Greg Blaze recording live from the Crown Finish Caves on Bergen Street in Brooklyn. I'm lucky enough to have Richard McCarthy, Executive Director of Slow Food USA here. Thank you for taking some time to chat with me.
3: Oh, thank you for asking me.
2: So for those of us who don't know what slow, not those of us, but those out there who don't know what slow food is, could you tell us a little bit more about your organization?
3: Sure. We are the global community that hopes to inspire individuals and communities out there right. to change the world through food. And food that is good, that is clean, and that is fair. And, and, and this stands very much at odds with our, you know, kind of woefully Protestant, self-loathing, food is fuel, the rush to scale and speed and efficiency that we are unfortunately um, pummeled with. And we want to connect with those who find both um, uh, a desire for the joy and the justice in food. And so places like Crown Finish are, are sort of sort of emblems of resistance to that sort of horrid rush to speed and scale. Yeah, I'm a self-loathing Protestant.
2: <laughs> I need education. You need, you need help, huh? I need saving. <laughs> um, that's fantastic. I think so many more folks today want food that's rooted in deeper values, quality, good for the earth, good for the producers, good for the animals. So um, how has slow food influenced these changes to have uh, people you know, think about their
3: food What progress have you made? Well, you know, in many ways, I think we're winning. How? Well, there are... uh, I don't necessarily
2: disagree with you, but but some days I might.
3: No, there there are some days where I feel like we we will all perish before we get to the finish line. Um, I I think that the the notion that that food is a journey as we try and recalibrate our relationship with food uh, politically, economically, culturally... Um, is no longer this little boutique interest among the fringe. Certainly. Uh, whether it is the proliferation of farmers' markets and local food economies, school, lunch, school program. lunch programs, school gardens. I think that's so important. We're, we're we're beginning to grow a generation who are not just consumers, right? But they're protagonists. I protagonists for their own lives. I agree with that. I think yeah. that we there was a bubble of time mm-hmm.
2: where. Uh, information, the dissemination of information and uh, and reality mm-hmm. uh, were not intersected. I think that despite uh, the dangers of technology and, the, and the, what we used to refer to as the global village, right. you know, right. we right. shrunk the earth uh, through a lot of devices, some of which I'm holding <laughs> right <laughs> now, but those same devices have allowed anybody in any walk of life to click and learn about things like food. And mm. I think that kids, I've found now, there's a generation of kids who are interested in what they eat. It's fantastic. Mm. I would spend terrible cheese when I was a kid. Some good, but terrible mm. cheese. My, you know, I, I didn't come from a place where food was held on high. Mm. But because I'm a country boy, it just got done for me, you know? Mm. And I had to uh, discover my own path. And I like to give back. One of the things I like about slow food both its Italian iteration and the Americans um, is that you guys, you know, you give back willingly and enabling uh, to the people that you try to reach.
3: Would you yeah. agree with that? I, I would, I, and I, I think that um, I think perhaps maybe the the most important uh, victory we we can have is to to sort of pull. Food off of that high pedestal of some sort of elite, because it's looked fanciful, um, pleasure-seeking thing that you only get if you have money. Certainly, and I I think that what is beginning to take shape, because in part because of the political realities, the sort of age of deconstruction, Mm -hmm. this age of. it's not nihil. Well, it is nihilism. Um, there's an existentialist crisis. There's something that goes going on. on. People are struggling from, to find meaning they in are. their world. And you know what? You find meaning through food because you find sure. community through food. Certainly. And I think it it, it 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 forces to to the surface questions about the price of food, uh, not only at the point of sale, but the societal price of food, the cost of food. Well, we're Um, running out of it. The issues of scarcity. Certainly. um, Biodiversity. And uh, as someone who has spent my life in social change work, which is generally, you know, usually on the losing side of all the issues. The machine's pretty powerful. Rooting for those who generally have few financial resources. Mm. There is something that is sustaining people through food because they're gaining so much more than just the nutrients. Sure. But a sense of hope, a sense of community. And in particular a generational invention of what the economy is gonna look like. Sure. And the creativity that is in, in play and, and the roots of, of democracy that are in play through in particular this, this localizing of our food systems and and reaching out um, across boundaries that we have been told are insurmountable, urban and rural, uh, between immigrants and native communities, um, I, I find a great deal of hope. Actually, that that's why cheese mm-hmm. is so
2: is so wonderful because it touches on all of those things and it crosses all those boundaries. Yeah. Cheese brings the country to the city, yes. really effectively. I think more than any other piece of food that I that I've mm-hmm. come across, it's mm-hmm. mm-hmm. built to travel and it's yeah. built yeah. to. I think a lot of food is a, a lot of the re, the way that we relate to food is memory because it's so fleeting, it comes in, it goes out, you know, and yeah, but yeah, yeah. within that process of gathering of it, no matter how simple that is uh, to you, you know, there, there's there's comforting memory there and I think that that's why slow food and cheese mm-hmm. work mm-hmm. so well together because they rely on time and they rely yeah. on community yeah, yeah. to create them. You cannot rush them. No, they, they happen when they do um, science and time. And uh, so what's the relationship between Slow Food USA and cheese in the United States?
3: Uh, Well, I think cheese, more than maybe any other um, artisanal food Mm -hmm. or sector, is such a uh, a healthy marriage between um, traditional knowledge and scientific knowledge. Yeah. And I think it's in those, um, those kinds of unexpected relationships that we find the greatest excitement. Slow food. Yes, yeah, slow food does. Great. And I, I think that tension is, one's, is tension we should, um, we should cultivate. Encourage, yeah. And encourage. I think the, the growth of fermentation in the U.S., mm-hmm. again... Who could have seen that 20 years ago? that We would be so fascinated with fermentation and realizing that the very things that we have run away from because of our our fear of food and our obsession with everything being sealed for your protection and instead recognizing that food should be living. Sure. And this requires knowledge and risk and investment in skills that we have otherwise... Said to do not matter anymore. Sure. So we we uh, you know the, the the raw, the raw milk, um, and especially raw milk cheese phenomena is one that we have. Uh, I knew we, we played an important role early in, in the days of slow food coming to the U.S. Sure. And we are right now seeing a um, reorganization of the raw milk cheese presidium in the yes. U.S. And what's exciting about that is it's a thematic community. Mm-hmm. It's not geographic, because there are raw milk cheesemakers all over the country looking for fellowship, yeah. shared knowledge, um, and People need each other. Need each other, and we need to navigate what is a um, you know sort of perilous regulatory environment. Ridiculous, in fact. Yeah, it is. And it's also coupled with an increasingly assertive and interested. Consumer base that is interested in solidarity and um, and rooting behind these um, cheese revolutionaries. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, you know we'll all continue
2: to fight the battle together on our respective fronts, but it's good to know (laughs) know we're all on the same side. You know, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, well, uh,
3: thank you, thank you for everything you do. Pirates unite. Yeah, brother. Cheers. (laughs) Ciao. Ciao.
0: Today's program is brought to you by the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese, period. Why? Lush grasslands, glacial water supply, fourth generation cheesemakers, combining old world tradition with the new ideas and highest standards. The very best milk. What do you think of when you think of Wisconsin cheese? For me, I think cheese curds, delicious, fresh cheese curds, or deep-fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally any way, any time, any place. I think about Andy Hatch and Upland's Cheese Company, the operation behind the Pleasant Ridge Reserve cheese that's literally America's most awarded cheese. I think of the deliciously stinky Limburger and its long-storied history. I think about Raleigh's Dumbarton Blue, a perfect blend of English-style cheddar and notes of blue. I think of Emmy Roth's Grand Cru Chichois, which was named 2016's world champion at the World Championship Cheese Contest. Wisconsin is like the world champion of cheese, and once you start reading the list of cheeses made in Wisconsin on their website, you can see why. The Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board is a nonprofit organization funded entirely by Wisconsin's dairy farm families. Read more at eatwisconsincheese.com. And as soon as you're done listening to this podcast, eat Wisconsin cheese. It's a no-brainer.
2: I'm here recording on location at Crown Finish Caves in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. I'm happy to have Dr. Paul Kinstead here with me. Welcome back to the show, doctor. It's
4: great to be here.
2: Yeah. It was such a pleasure having you on the show last time to talk about crystallography and climate change. Uh, nowadays, you're in sabbatical working on updates to cheese and culture, correct?
4: That's correct. Actually, I, as of next week, my sabbatical is over. Oh, you got to check, check all your check. emails now. I got to check all my emails and not not say I,
2: I won't be back for another six months. <laughs> well, we knew better. We kept bothering you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> what sort of new connections have you made, or updates can you share regarding cheese history and crystallography since you were here?
4: Yeah, one of, one of the areas that I'm working on intensely is is um, the the Jewish experience with cheese, Jewish uh-huh. Jewish history, and really okay. understanding how the kosher laws and Sure. The the Mishnah and the Talmud then influenced the Jewish people and their relationship with cheese in different places in New New England, in in, uh, Northern Europe versus in the Mediterranean region. And you look at the cuisine, you know, Mm -hmm. Jewish cuisine, and it varies in terms of how cheese is used pretty substantially. And so I've been trying to track back why is that so and and understanding how— um, Jewish religious history and, and, yeah. and uh, you know, I particularly the, the
2: laws of kashrut, the kosher yeah. laws. That affects, as a cheesemonger, that's affected me in a certain way working here in New York City uh, because people always are asking me for kosher cheese. Sure. And I'm telling them no matter whether or not my cheese is kosher, kosher as soon as I touch it or I cut it with the knives, my knives that haven't been blessed by a rabbi it ceases to become kosher and which I always found an interesting avenue to talk to people about their faith because some people didn't care. They were like, nah, I'm just doing it for doing it. And other people were like... Wow, that's very considerate of you, you know, and I could steer them to a place mm, where kosher mm, cheese was mm, made. Mm, but mm. what are you finding? What, are you running into uh, some, some crazy history there? I'm sure you are.
4: It's an enormously complex history, and as as you'd expect with, with the Jewish community, like the Christian community, there's a wide range of, of sort of beliefs in, in terms of, you know, cultural Jews versus Reformed versus conservative versus Orthodox. Was, right. Ultra Orthodox, and depending on who you're speaking with, you know those concerns that you just raised about, or lack of concerns in some cases, will come into play. But that all has a history, you know, as to as to what the beliefs are and how the application of of the Talmud and the kosher laws, you know, how f- finely they're applied, and it will make a huge difference in terms of the way Jew, Jewish folks react. And and enjoy cheese and what you know what, what's kosher and what isn't, if you will. And I am not a, I am not from the Jewish community, so I am not an expert. I'm I am trying to draw from, the scholarship in this area as an outsider, and it's been it's been very humbling and somewhat certain. daunting.
2: But I'm sure you have a lot of good stories there. I you, mean, that's, oh
4: yeah, maybe too many in fact. Too many, too many, too many. I'm, I'm not. You know, i'm contemplating possibly writing a, a separate book on that because i don't know how i can stuff it in the, the second edition yeah there's of a lot culture. there it's it's huge it intersects with some of the great you know issues of of uh, of our time in Certainly. terms of uh, you know, all, all sorts of of cultural and social um considerations that that really everything has a history to it and this particular history is very very weighty um
2: yeah, it is, for many, many, many reasons. Um, I mean, it, it's into all culture. I grew up uh, as a Protestant when I did, mm-hmm. before I stopped going to church. You know, and I didn't realize, uh, you know, that the, the version of the Bible that I was reading was, in large part, you know, mm-hmm. a history of, uh, of Jewish people Absolutely. back in the day. And Absolutely. All of the oppression and all of the, uh, the nasty shit that got done to them in, in this, this huge story that I was reading— um, I just had no. I had no cultural reference point because, you know, I was in a, a small community that was where there just weren't a lot of Jewish people.
4: Yeah, yeah, and and and, you know, the lack of understanding because of the of the the cultural, you know, strongly built into the culture, the practices and the yeah. kosher laws and the and the separateness, right? And the lack of understanding that that then. That helped to, to create, you know, and and mistrust, and it's a, it's a very painful history. I I am a Protestant, and I yeah. and I'm I'm a practicing, you know, I it is my faith community. My mom wishes
2: I would go back to church,
4: and and um, and it's it's just you know, Protestant, Catholic, Orthodox Christianity has had a hard time with the Jewish community. I hate to say that,
2: as but it's as, the as truth the police, if you look at things it, realistically,
4: simple, and I want to bring healing between my our faith communities and, and the Jewish community in some small way by using cheese as a lens to look at how the heck do we get to where we are. And that's and I mean, how can we move forward, you know, in a loving way. And I know there's been wonderful efforts, ecumenical efforts, you know, done by various segments of the Christian church. But I think there's still more
2: work to do. Well, yeah. I'm gonna try to use cheese history as a way to in a small way. Cheese is the best item I've found in my life to act as a prism through which other people's lives are reflected. You can
4: reach people in ways that are non threatening, that are yes. engaging and yes. and you have a commonality there. Everybody loves the cheese. Everybody now. loves the cheese. You can't go wrong with cheese. No. You know it's, it's true. It's a great common denominator. It it's is. The starting point for for that, uh, you know, in addition to the, the Jewish history, I'm working on, on, you know, global climate change. And, right. And I talk, we talked about Mongolia. And, Which was still amazing to me. And I
2: still think about that discussion a lot because it made me go back and and listen to those podcasts, uh, the Hardcore History mm. podcasts, mm. Uh, the Wrath of the Khans, he called it, oh, yeah. when uh, Subadai and uh, took the expeditionary force into uh, northern and eastern Europe and just... Destroy everything. Yeah, yeah, but um, and I always and I often, as I was here a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about um, epistemology and uh, and older cheese legends, whether they're beneficial or whether they're not. I started thinking of uh, of how uh, nomadic cheese. Nomadic shepherds or or nomadic cheesemakers back in those mm, days mm. if they had left any droppings Mm. of knowledge along with all of the destruction that they caused.
4: Well, they left. They left a genetic imprint, yeah. for one thing, and and it's amazing with the, the you know the the biotechnology to track you know genetic lineages back. You can follow you know people groups and migrations and so it's forth. Amazing, and, and um, so that all all factors into reconstructing cheese history because you need to understand people groups and their movements, and then you have other material records in the archaeological. Um, you know digs and so forth. Sure. And you put it all together, and and you start to get this picture. You know this great sweep of history. People moving back and forth, and everywhere you know, from Mongolia into Eastern Europe, and and uh, and then back again. And this has been going on like for ten thousand years. That yes, as climate shifts and stresses are placed, people move. Well, you go where the sun and the water. You, is. you go. You go where you survive. Yeah. You know, and you adapt. And that's the story of cheesemakers, right from the beginning. And yeah. A story of humanity, by the way. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I. I'm, I'm... Because I'm in my community and people, uh, you know, we discuss this often, the importance of cheese. I find, you know, that outsiders or people who are, or they just eat cheese for to enjoy it. They think I'm insane when I tell them that cheese is one of the most important, you know, documents of history. Good for you. History. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I, I truly yeah. believe that. Yeah. As you scroll yeah. back through um, all of that uh, that uh, Hebrew history what do you find um, to be their cheese of choice throughout the years? What's the cheese?
4: Well, it depends on where where you're talking about. When you start in, you know, the antiquity, yeah, um, when the nation of Israel existed in Israel, yeah. Um, writings, the rabbis knew very much about rennet coagulated cheeses of the time. They knew very much about acid coagulated, acid heat coagulated cheeses. Sure. They, they were, they were you know, very much aware of, of sort of the portfolio of cheeses circulating in the, the greater Mediterranean area at the time. And you know the typical uh, Israelite would, you know, these would be f- typically fresh cheeses. Certainly, that's made, what I thought. Ver- very small, There's acidified milk. Yeah, yeah, buys yeah, you a couple weeks. Yeah,
2: you know, yeah, for-
4: yeah you know, salted, eaten fresh, and and um, you know, they didn't have a lot of animals. They didn't have a large volume of milk. They'd be made on small batches. Sure, and, and they had to move. And that, and and so um, you know, they were pretty simple cheeses. But they but they were aware of. You know, for example, cheese is coming from you know the Black Sea region of Certainly. Turkey. And you know, and that's where it all trade. starts. The Romans loved those cheeses. Yes, they did. And and, and
2: they were aware. And they still of, do.
4: And they still do. Yeah, <laughs> sure they do.
2: Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, in the cheese community in the U.S., we have our academics that are sort of like celebrities for some cheese professionals. You're definitely on that list. Uh, Dr. Mm-hmm. Catherine Donnelly is on that list. She was recently on the show with Diane. St- Diane Stemple. Are there academics outside the U.S. who are producing excellent research on topics in cheese science that we should all look into?
4: Oh gosh! Um, in, in terms of cheese science in Europe, there's wonderful resources. I mean, they do fantastic work. They they have enormous vested interest, yeah. um, And they and typically governments support that type of research far more than
2: ours, generous, generously than ours. Um, but I do you was, think that that they, has they do, to do some do great with work. the length? Of history, the European history versus the United States: Are we just adolescents, and we'll get there, or well, do we eat our young wholly all the time as country?
4: If, if you're talking about a place like Italy or France, where where you have this enormous legacy, history of cheese, and, and a cultural imprint that is so deep. That the, you know, these cheeses mean more than just feeding the population. They they, they they carry this cultural
2: significance, um, yeah,
4: um, identity. heritage, identity with them, and and so that enables the populations, the peoples, to to be much more supportive yeah. of. Research and efforts to preserve yeah. these cheeses—you know, the traditional cheeses in particular—where we struggle in this country. I mean, there's, there's been some wonderful work at the land grant universities in, in America for a hundred years, um, and and continues to be some great work. But we struggle to to really muster the financial resources, the funding, to do the kind of um, you know really fundamental work on traditional cheeses. Certainly. As opposed well, to the the you know large scale production scenarios, you know large factory type. I spent a lot of my life serving, you know, my stakeholders in the big mozzarella cheese industry and sir. cheddar cheese industry. So I I know that. And, yeah. And, but to get the kind of funding to do for my Vermont cheesemakers, my 70 artisanal cheesemakers, it's 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 a, it's a
2: we, we, we charge everyone a la carte prices here that's how you order off the menu you want yeah. health It's yeah. no problem. Yeah. you choose yeah. a menu of options yeah. and each of them are expensive I think that's the way we do it with anything but give me two names two names from Europeans that we can check out that'll help us out here as Americans um, to study cheese science further
4: I hate to even name name but I mean inRA the the, the you know national um, um, Basic you know, in, in France, the basic yeah. institute, you know, for for agricultural research mm-hmm. in France, INRA does unbelievably great work on you know, surface ripened cheeses, soft bloomy rind cheeses, uh-huh. uh, smear ripened things. I'm going to talk about today. Sure, they 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 do tremendous work, um, and and there's some great people there. Um, and if I just say one name, I'll get bombasted bastard by the others why didn't you tell me your my name uh, <laughs> uh, they they wouldn't do that but but, but uh, they in, 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 they might um, down in in uh, in italy um, you know the university of milan mm-hmm. and, and the, the great consortium yeah. the panjano reggiano consortium yeah, Padano, and and in sicily Corfalac mm-hmm. um, you know do do fantastic work you know on things like what is the role of pasture botanicals in 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 you know um, um subtle flavors you know mm-hmm. transferred from the flowers into mm-hmm. the milk into the cheese and and you know really tracking that back mm-hmm. it's hard to get funding to do that kind of work in this country um, but they understand this this you know imprint of the place on the cheese yes, and they want to understand the science behind it yes. and are willing to pay for it. So you know, there they're, you know, in in, in the Netherlands, there's, there's fantastic resources there. Academics in Germany and you know, all, all of the European countries have some. You know, I often I don't like to be jealous, but I have to admit there are times well, yeah. I have a little bit of envy at, at uh, the funding. Well, we level. like to
2: do everything quickly here and profitably, and if it's not done in those two ways, we yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. Uh, we sort of brush it to We're, the we're side.
4: results oriented, and, yes. and you know, we gotta we gotta. Assemble our beans and, and, yeah, and uh, show them at the end of the day what yeah. we've done. And I understand that. that that's important. Yeah. It's a balance. In a certain way. In a certain way.
2: Well, yeah. I'm looking forward to hearing you speak, and we're going to record that as well so oh, people can, uh, can look up and, uh, and oh, learn going oh, forward. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much. Ciao. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week for more special interviews.